Amen. Please open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. Um, while you're turning there, I'll just note that you know typically our practice here is to um, preach what we call expository sermons, uh, going through books of the Bible, and um, excuse me, and um, you know taking the main points of a passage, making that the main points of, our, of a sermon. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're do, and that's great. That's our that's our healthy diet, right? But today we're going to do a, a, what we call a topical sermon, and it's Father's Day, so we're going to um, look at consider some fatherly things this morning. But I hope that um, you don't hear me say that and and just think that this is a sermon only for fathers, okay? I hope you don't just tune me out if you're not a father. Um, So uh, there's a lot, I think, for God's word uh, for each of us this morning. So uh, let me just briefly set the context before I read our passage. Uh, In this particular section, we're just reading a small part of this narrative of 2 Samuel chapter 18, but what we see happening here is that uh, King David, that his son Absalom, has uh, started sort of a rebellion, that Absalom is trying to sort of overthrow David's kingship. He's trying to take over the kingdom. He's, he hates his father, David. Um, and it's, it's a very dark time in the life of David. And what we see is that this eventually rises to, there's sort of a military conflict, and uh, Absalom has some men, and David has some men, and um, eventually Absalom is killed in this battle. And what we see in this passage this morning is, uh, this messenger coming and giving the news of Absalom's death to David. And so uh, this is God's word, and let's give our attention to it. Second uh, Samuel 18, beginning in verse 31. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. <clears throat> the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him and ask him for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning aware of our need, uh, our, our need for grace, our need for um, mercy, uh, our need for your help as we come to your word. Father, we pray that you would um, shine the light of the gospel, the light of your truth on this text and on our hearts this morning, that you would teach us from it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you were to come to our house on a, late at night sometime, and if we were listening to music, there's, there's a good chance that we might be listening to an old album called Chet Baker Sings. Okay, Chet Baker, for, for those of you who um, don't know, maybe, uh, Chet Baker was this trumpeter from like the 50s and 60s, and, and he released an album called Chet Baker Sings, where he plays the trumpet and he sings. Um, so you probably guessed that. And it's, it's such a great album. It's, it's a great late night album because it's very it's soothing and it's, it's soft, and, and you know, Chet Baker had this angelic voice in the 1950s. It's just a really... Just a you know wonderful little way to end the day, a wonderful little late night album. Um, but you know what's always interesting to me when I listen to this record is that uh, if you know anything about Chet Baker's life, his life was kind of a mess. Um, he had, for all of his adult life, struggled with serious drug addiction um, and was you know just in and out of trouble with the law because of drugs and various things, and you know eventually 
died in his 50s after an accident while he was under the influence of drugs. And just a really dark life, a life uh, haunted by many things. And, and so I listened to this album, which for me is such a comfort and is such a soothing and relaxing thing. And it's, it's always kind of a bizarre thing to wrap my mind around that. How is the guy who made this beautiful, you know, soothing art, how is this guy, you know, in his life, there was such darkness and such chaos um, and it's been—it's always been a kind of an interesting thing to me, um, and you know, it's sort of easy—it's sort of easy to think that when we look at the life of David, right? We see David's life, and we see some of the great things that the Lord used him to do. We see that the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, and we—some of the most beautiful words of Scripture in the Psalms were written by David. Um, and yet, when we look at certain parts of his life, there, there's some real dark things there. There's some uh, some serious sins that he. Um, committed, and so you know, and that that makes me think about myself a little bit too. You know that that you know when I look at the best things that I've done and the worst things that I've done, and I sort of compare those two, and I'm like, how did these two things come from the same person? Um, how did these two things that I these you know my best moments, and my worst moments, how did these you know originate from the same person? And that's just the reality of living. Uh, in a fallen world. That's just the way that, that life is. But what I think we can see in this passage this morning is that, that David is a flawed father. And so we're going to look at a few lessons that we can learn from David, um, flawed though he may be, a few things that we can learn from him. And so we're just going to look at three points this morning, a father's sin, a father's love, and a father's hope. Um, and so let's go ahead and begin with looking at a father's sin. So as I mentioned, that this was kind of a dark time in David's life. As you recall, uh, he had, um, you know, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had gotten himself into a, a pretty a bad situation, and he had gotten out of that situation, or so he thought, by having her husband Uriah murdered. Um, and this was a, a dark time, and, and when Nathan the prophet comes to confront David about this, he says, "Because of this thing you've done, the sword will never." Depart from your house, and we see that begin to kind of work its way out. As one of David's sons, Amnon, he sexually assaults his half sister Tamar, and Absalom is filled with rage about this and plots a revenge, and eventually murders Amnon, and eventually plans to uh, uh, take over his father's kingdom and, and get David out of the picture. And so it's it's a really bad situation. We kind of see the fallout of those things happening here in Second Samuel eighteen. But, you know, if we, in a really strange way, David's sin, David as a, as a father, his sin had deeply affected his children, his family. Um, if you think about it, you know, when David, David saw a woman that he wanted, Bathsheba, and he took her. Um, his son Amnon does the same thing. He sees a woman that he wants and he takes her. Um, when David got into a, a problem, how did he find his way out of it? Through murder. We see Absalom, his son, doing the same thing. And so it's not a stretch to say that these two sons of David are following in their father's footsteps and these things that they had seen him do. And so I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we can have about sin is that it's a very private matter. That, that my sin only affects me and it doesn't affect anyone else. It doesn't affect the people in my home. It doesn't affect the people in my community. Um, I, I think we're deceiving ourselves if we believe that. Uh, because our sin can affect others around us in ways that... that we perhaps can't even imagine. I think this is particularly true of the relationships in our homes. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised when we see certain patterns of behavior, certain sinful behaviors being passed down from generation to generation. Um, because after all, it's, uh, the children, uh, children take note of what their parents do, and they, um, the actions of the parents speak volumes, and the children learn life. They learn how to live by watching 
their parents very often. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see these patterns sort of being passed down. And as fathers, our sins can affect our children like this in, very, in indirect ways. But the Bible also tells us that our sins can affect our children in very direct ways as well. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes these words in Colossians 3.21. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so here Paul is issuing a, a direct command to fathers, right? Not to provoke, not to be harsh with their, chil- with, with their children, or else the children will become discouraged. And, you know, the Greek word that's used here in this for, discour- for, for discouraged is a word that literally means to be broken in spirit. And so we've probably all been on the giving and receiving end of that at some point or another, right? We've, we've had our spirit broken by harsh words, or we've issued harsh words to a person, and we've seen their countenance fall. We've seen their posture change. We've seen those words take effect. It's not a good feeling, no matter which side of that you're on. It's not a good feeling. You know, I heard a pastor say it like this one time, that there is a way of hitting someone so hard that they never heal without ever raising your hand. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? You know, we heard on the playground growing up, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That, that's just not true, right? Um, some of the worst wounds are those that come from our words. And so maybe you hear this right now and you're thinking about, that, about words that you, uh, harsh words that, that were given to you, spoken to you, you know, years ago maybe. Or perhaps you're thinking about harsh words that you may have spoken to someone this week. Or maybe this, even this very morning on the way to church. The reality that we must bear in mind as human beings, as Christians, as parents, especially as fathers, is that our sin, our harshness, our impatience, our anger, our words can leave wounds that hurt for decades. And our actions do speak volumes to our children, and they're going to learn from watching us. Our children will learn how to respectfully interact with others from watching us. Our children will learn how to manage money from watching us. Our children will learn um, how to handle stress and how to deal with difficult situations from watching us. Our children will learn how to love the church from watching us. And so a father's sin can affect his children very, very deeply. But next let's look at a father's love. So speaking of fatherly things, one of my uh, fatherly uh, joys right now is uh, the movie Frozen, which is uh, on, almost on constant repeat uh, on loop at our house. It seems like uh, every time I walk through the house, we're, we're hearing some song from Frozen floating through, either from the TV or from my daughter running around singing it. Um, and Frozen, let's just be honest, this is a terrible movie, okay? I, I do not like this movie. And it may be because I've seen it 20 times now, but um, there are a lot of... There, I could go on for a long time about the issues I have with this movie, but... <clears throat> There's one thing I really like about it, and so I'm going to spoil that for you right now. Um, there, you know, there's this part of the movie, and I'm not going to get all the details right, so you know, it's, it may not make much sense. But there's a, you know, it's kind of a fairy tale sort of princess story. There's these two sisters who are princesses, and they have a very troubled relationship, okay? And so um, at one point, this, one of the sisters, Anna, okay, Princess Anna, she gets her heart frozen, okay? Don't, don't ask how it happens. But she gets her heart frozen. And, you know, these little trolls or whatever say, you know, the only way for her to have her heart unfrozen is for uh, an act of true love. And so, you know, you're watching a princess movie, you think, oh, okay, like true love's kiss. We've, you know, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, we've seen this before. I I know this territory. Um, And that's kind of what the people in the movie think as well. They're like, oh, true love's kiss. You need to go find your, you know, this guy who loves you to kiss you. Um, but, But actually, that's not what ends up saving Anna, okay? Um, spoiler alert. What, what happens is when Anna sacrifices herself 
for her sister, right? The sister that she has such a troubled relationship with. She sacrifices herself um, in this you know, very selfless way. And that ends up being the thing that, that cures her frozen heart. And it's a really kind of an interesting little twist. <clears throat> what I like about that is, is that it's telling us that love is not really is not something we just fall into. Okay? Love is not is not some primarily some warm fuzzy feeling, but love is an action, right? Love is something that one decides to do. And we see that I think that the picture of that love here in in 2 Samuel 18, we see some of that from David. Um, now remember that David that Absalom hated David. He he had sowed seeds of dissension in the kingdom. He had tried to overthrow his father. And yet, let's see a few of the things that we... Notice a few of the things we see David doing in this passage. Look with me um, back at verses 4 and 5 of, of uh, 2 Samuel 18. Um, David orders his men to deal gently. As they're about to go out to battle with, with Absalom's men, he orders them to deal gently with Absalom. Start in the second half of verse uh, 4. So the king stood at the side of the gate, while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab... And Abishai and Ittai deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Now, ultimately, they end up ignoring that command, right? But, but still, they're about to, you know, he is trying to take his father's kingdom away and have him killed. And yet David says, hey, deal gently with Absalom for my sake. Another thing we see as later in the chapter, as two messengers come to give messages about the battle to David, the very first thing he asks each messenger is, you know, how is Absalom? Is Absalom okay? Look with me at verse uh, 29. This is the first messenger we did not uh, read earlier. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant saw, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do, know, do not know what it was. And then again, as in the passage I read earlier, as the Cushite comes, he says, How is it with the young man Absalom? This is the first, his first concern. You know, he's asking about this. And, uh, of course, the Kushite says, you know, may all your enemies be like this young man. In other words, he's dead, right? And notice, finally, what was, when, when David hears about this, this news, notice his reaction. Um, in verse uh, 33, he says, it says, And the king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son you know, a good question right now to ask might be like, why is David so upset about this enemy of his, right? It is his son, but it's his enemy too. Why is he so upset about this son dying, right? Absalom is about as, as bad of a son as you can be, okay? Um, and there, there's probably a lot of, you know, reasons for, for David to be upset, right? First of all, he's a parent. You can't turn off that parental love. But also, you know, with Absalom dead, now there's no chance of reconciliation. There's no hope of of Absalom uh, repenting and, and becoming a righteous man. Um, and so there's a lot, of, there's really is a lot worth weeping over here. But David's words, I think, tell us something important about parental love, about fatherly love, that it's meant to be this selfless kind of love, right? Th- this love that is sacrificial. As David says, would I had died instead of you? So despite everything, David says, I wish that I was the one who had died and that you were still live, that you were still alive. Um, and that's kind of a sobering thing to think about, right? And I think if, if any parent in here were given an opportunity, if, if your child's life were in danger, you know, we would act on instinct without, without even thinking, right? We would, we would jump to save our child no matter what, uh, no matter whether, whether we're risking our lives or not. We would, we would jump into action. Um, 
And, and it's, it's sort of easy to kind of think about those hypothetical situations. But what's really hard is to lay down our lives for our children each and every day in a thousand tiny little seemingly insignificant ways. Uh, to display that selfless love by putting their wants and needs above our own, by serving them even when we don't feel like it, especially when we don't feel like it. Uh, you know, and this might look like us putting down the smartphone for a minute to play cars, you know, or to uh, turn the TV off so that we can read that princess book that we've already read 12 times today, but uh, we'll read it again, and you can't skip any pages because she'll notice. Uh, but, you know, to, to do something like that, which is such a, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that seems like such a small and tiny thing, but it can be really meaningful to a child. Or, you know, to, to turn off the game and to listen to your teenage daughter when she uh, has some drama with her friends. And though you don't really understand all the details and it doesn't make much sense to you and you feel like in the grand scheme of things, this isn't really a big deal. But to listen to her in this moment is a big deal to her. Um, or for, if you have an adult child, you know, to lay down your life each day with your adult children, to, to treat them with respect um, and dignity. Um, you know, these, these are hard things to do, right? To, to do these little things each and every day, to lay our lives down um, when it's, even when we don't really feel like doing it. But that's what love actually looks like, right? The fullest and best picture of love that we have is in the gospel. Uh, when we look at the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that love is an action. You know, that love is giving your life for someone just as Jesus gave his life for us. And he didn't just, he didn't just give his life for us when he died, but he gave his life for us every day of his life. Every, every minute, every second, as he was living a perfect life, as he was pleasing God the Father, because he knew that we were, we were unable to do that. Um, each and every moment of his life, he was living uh, on our behalf and then dying the death that should have been ours. That's what love looks like. That's the perfect picture of love. And as parents, as fathers and mothers, that's the sort of love that we're called to bring into our homes. That's the sort of love that we're called uh, to live out in front of others. It's a gospel love. So we've seen a father's sin, a father's love. Briefly, let's look uh, finally at a father's hope. Um, there's a novelist named Michael Chabon. You may have, I don't know if you've heard of, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist. Um, his famous book is, uh, came out like 10, 12 years ago called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Uh, but he's a, uh, he's a novelist, he's also a father of four, and he wrote a book, a, pers- a book of like personal essays called Manhood for Amateurs. Um, and so one of the things that he says early in this book, which is kind of an interesting quote, he says, a father is a man who fails every day. And there's a couple ways that we can kind of take that quote. One way is we can, be, we can look at that as sort of negatively or sort of pessimistically. I mean, he's kind of you know, taking a stab at, at dads here. But um, I'm not sure that's exactly how he means it. And, and I think there actually is something good here because having that realization, right, th- this realization that, that I'm, as a father, I'm going to fail every day, you know, that, that might actually be the first step to being a good father or a good mother or a good anything. You know, to know that, that we need help, to know that, that we can't do this on our own, that we must look outside of ourselves to something else, to someone else uh, to help us for this impossible task. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know, man, I, I, I know I've been too harsh with my kids at times. I know I've, I've criticized them too much. I've been too impatient with my children. Or, or, you know, I know that I haven't loved them selflessly. You know, I know that I haven't laid down my life in these small little ways for my children when I've had opportunities to do so. You know, 
if that's how you're feeling right now, I know how you feel. That's how I felt this week as I was working on this sermon. Um, but I think that as we, we, we have to recognize as Christians that we are called to an impossible task. We are called to love one another, and that includes our children, right? Especially our children. We're called to love one another selflessly, to die for, for each other each and every day, um, putting others' wants and needs before our own. And we know that we're going to fail at this every single day, that we're not going to do it perfectly, that only one person ever did it perfectly, and that was Jesus. And so where does our hope come from as we, as we undertake this impossible task? Well, what are, where did David's hope come from? Um, I think we get an idea of where David's hope came from, from something that he wrote. So please turn with me over to uh, Psalm 32, and we'll wrap up here in just a moment. Psalm 32. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and verse 5. This is a psalm that David wrote. He says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, for David... His hope in this life, right, his hope in, in everything he did, his hope as a father and everything, was the fact that he served a gracious and merciful and forgiving God. So that when he failed and when he sinned in, in ways both big and small, that he knew he had the promise of forgiveness, that he had the hope of forgiveness. And we can see that even in many ways, even clear, even more clearly than David saw it, right? We, we see it in black and white in the New Testament when we read that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and we read, that, we read that, uh, that when we repent, when we confess our sins, when we turn to God, that he offers forgiveness. He is faithful and just. He promises and delights to forgive us. And so the, the hope for our parenting is in the gospel. Um, and so how does the gospel change our parenting? Well, in a million ways. But just a couple I'll mention briefly is that, one, the gospel changes our goals as parents, right? Our, our goal is not to be perfect parents because we know we, we can't do that. Our goal is not to raise perfect children because we know that they won't be. They won't be perfect. Um, and the more pressure we put on them to be perfect, the more, uh, the more of these uh, unattainable expectations we put on them, is just going to further discourage them and burden them. But the goal of parenting is, is to show the love of Jesus to our children each day. right? To ask God for his grace to, for the impossible task before us. To love these children that he has called us to raise. To love them selflessly. And when we fail each day, as we are going to, you know, to be quick to admit it, uh, to be quick to repent, to be quick to ask forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. As fathers, we ought to be the number one repenters in our house. We ought to be the ones who lead the way in seeking forgiveness and repenting. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy for me, certainly. The gospel can also change our perspectives on parenting, right? Whenever those hard early days, right, when both kids are up at 1.30 in the morning crying, like at my house last night, and you have no idea why they're crying, and um, you know, and on days like that, or on those harder days when you're trying to reason with this emotional teenager and you just feel like this is a futile endeavor that you're seeking to do, or those days when you, those really hard days when you watch your children leave the nest and you ask yourself, you know, have I raised them well? What, what kind of person is this, are they going to be? What kind of adult are they going to be? And the gospel shows us that in all of those hard days, that God is using these things to sanctify us, right? That, that God is using these things to make us holy, to show us our need of him, to show us 
to, de- to teach us to depend upon him. And finally, the gospel helps us to entrust our children to God, right? If, if God can remove my sins as far as the east is from the west, if God can, can look at me as an enemy and transform me into a beloved son, then why shouldn't I trust him with my children? Why, why should I doubt his goodness? And so the hope and power of, of our parenting, the hope and power of being good fathers is in the gospel, that Jesus of Nazareth loved us and laid down his life for us, that he calls us to follow him, to lay down our lives for one another. It promises us that when we follow him, he will be with us and he will help us. And I realized this morning that, that this sermon, you know, that Father's Day in general can be a tough day for some people, right? Um, I was just looking at Facebook this morning and everyone's, you know, posting all these photos of, of you know, their fathers and, and all these kind of things. And I realized for, for folks who maybe did not have a great father or maybe didn't have a father at all, that this can be a tough day. Um, for a father, if you had a father who was really harsh, really rough with you, maybe a father who wasn't uh, very loving, who wasn't very patient, um, it, can be a, it can be a tough day. Um, but there is good news for, for us. There's good news for all of us. But the good news is this, that, that someone has loved you as a father. That, that someone looked at you just the way that David looked at Absalom, his enemy, and said, Oh, my son Absalom, I would that I had died instead of you. That someone has looked at you in that same way as an enemy and said, I will die instead of you. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have today a heavenly father who loves us perfectly. And so no matter what kind of father you are, no matter what kind of father you've been, no matter what kind of father you have had, uh, there is a beautiful promise here, and that there, that, that's there is a, that, there, that there is a heavenly Father who loves, who loves you, who delights to call you his son or daughter. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your... We thank you that you're our Father. We thank you that um, when, when we trust in Jesus that we receive so much more than just uh, forgiveness, but we receive adoption. Uh, that you call us your own, that you call us your children. Lord, help that truth never cease to amaze us. Help that truth never cease to warm our hearts. And Father, as we uh, think about fathers today, help us to uh, be thankful uh, for, for all the ways that you have shown us your fatherly love. And we ask all these things in, gr- in Christ's name. Amen.